So when we're thinking about solving climate change, that is a huge, huge problem that we have and it has so many facets to it. And the way that I kind of like graphically think about it in my mind is imagine solving a Rubik's Cube and you have all the different squares and they're all different colors and you're really trying to shuffle it up and get it all to match. Imagine only looking at it from one of the six faces, only one side. So you might be able to solve one side that maybe all the blues line up, but if you turn it around, the rest is a mess and you have to go address the rest. So that's the case for intersectional is get those other perspectives to help you figure out the solution. You're listening to The Ecopreneur Show, a podcast that inspires entrepreneurs and creatives on how they can make a positive and meaningful impact in the world. I'm your host, Vanina. Every other week, I hang out with entrepreneurs, business owners, and leaders that are creating real-life solutions for a more sustainable future. I feel by having raw conversations with ecopreneurs that will keep on inspiring us to take action in our own lives. Thanks for tuning in. Wow, it has been an intense year so far with COVID-19 and the Black Lives Matter movement. But I am really looking forward to seeing what solutions emerge and what systemic changes we can start addressing and implementing as a community. I've also been taking the time to reflect my actions as a podcaster. So going forward, I plan for the show to keep amplifying the voices of ecopreneurs that are creating real-life solutions and especially Black and people of color ecopreneurs. I also plan for the show to explore more about climate and environmental justice. In this episode, I sat down with Moji Egan of Blue Daisy Consulting, whose mission is to serve small businesses by connecting them with the tools and resources they need to reduce waste and implement more earth-friendly business practices. In these conversations, we talk about intersectional environmentalism, what consultancy processes look like with Blue Daisy Consulting, and what actions we can take for climate justice as ecopreneurs. I also want to mention too that since COVID-19, I am recording these episodes remotely, so the audio quality is not as good, so please bear with me for the time being, and let's dive in. So Moji, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, could you give our listeners a quick introduction about yourself? Yeah. So my name is Moji. I live in Seattle, Washington, and I'm the founder of Blue Daisy Consulting. So that is a sustainable and zero waste consulting company. And I work with small businesses to help them develop strategies and implement more sustainable business practices. And how did you become an expert in sustainable consulting? So yeah, that's a big question. So <laughs> a big one to tackle. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because um, I am uh, still very young in my career. I'm not like uh, I don't know what I imagined a sustainability consulting look, look looking like is like a 50 year old like old white man like telling you what to do. And so that's not me, obviously. So I have a very different experience. And the best way that I can explain it is kind of walking you through my story of how I got here. 
so without like diving too deep into my resume and all like all the things that are in that, my career path has been very nonlinear. So I started with mechanical engineering in college. I wanted to work in the automotive industry. Mm. Um, yeah, so large departure from that. Um, I've transitioned through working for an educational nonprofit where I tutored high school students in math and science. Then I took a huge another like left turn and worked in quality management in commercial construction. Then found myself in business operations and now in business and sustainability consulting. So on paper, my resume does not make any sense. It doesn't have a clear through line. But I think that the point of my career path, and I think that like my hot take about other people's career path is that it doesn't need to be a straight line or a prescriptive path. You can use each job that you have as a way to gain skills and develop more knowledge. So I thought I would have to start as an intern at a sustainability consulting company and kind of work my way up. But instead, I figured out what am I good at and what am I not good at and then used my skills to help people as best as I can and really honestly just gave myself permission to do this work without kind of taking the traditional path. Hmm. I love that. I think that so many people can feel so defeated and it's very nonlinear, but I think that, you know, everything happens for a reason, right? That probably have so much from your resume and your background have so much insight than somebody who's a sustainability consultant and is only in some ways just had like tunnel vision and just only seen one side of the story and not really, you know, doesn't understand, you know, the other components. So the fact that you even have that, I feel like knowledge actually makes you more knowledgeable in that sense, if that makes any sort of sense. Yeah. And that's exactly the way that I see it is it's not just talking about green practices and certifications, but it's really looking at it holistically. So that's all I'm about right now. I love that. And what what exactly made you want to consult for small businesses? That's another great question. Um, so when I first kind of took my baby steps into wanting to be a sustainability consultant, I started looking around the entire country for jobs. And I was just Googling and searching all the job boards and trying to find someone who would employ me. And I noticed that there was, there was opportunity at larger companies. There are very large, big box named sustainability consulting firms. But the work that they were doing was not really speaking to my soul. <laughs> there were jobs where you could kind of work in compliance and help companies like not break environmental policy rules. And you could do very just work that wasn't really speaking to me. And that's mostly designed for larger corporations who kind of have these corporate social responsibility processes that they need to uphold. And that's just not what interested me. I really wanted to focus on small businesses because it's it really brings out the humanity and sustainability. Yeah, yeah. It's not just about like just doing like checkbox things. Oh, we recycled today. Like <laughs> that's kind of not what I'm going for. I really want to work with humans and people who really want to do their best for the environment and give them the tools that they need to do that. It's very approachable looking at Blue Daisy Consulting. It's, you know, I feel like as somebody who also was in the field of sustainability, whenever I looked at certifications, it almost felt like unattainable for if you were 
only and only attainable if you let's say had a ton of money and were a huge company too like it feels like you have to be at a certain position to even have that sort of checklist or certification but i right. love the fact that you are creating this whole different certification that i think a lot of businesses really do need but I have, you're, you're really the first that I've seen. So I, I know I'm not the only one out there that's doing similar work. Um, I see a lot of very similar kinds of ways of thinking in the um, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion space. Mm. Um, so it's the same idea. It's just thinking more holistically about the work you're doing in a business and not just kind of saying it to save face, but actually doing that work. Because you have some such different backgrounds and decided that you wanted to be an expert in this field, how did you exactly become an expert in your field? Yeah. So like I was saying, I have all of these very diverse experiences. So I've taken what I've learned in each of those jobs and really used them as transferable skills. So when I was working in construction, I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm going to be a sustainability consultant. Let me think about sustainability. In the, you know, I wasn't doing that. I was thinking, right. how can I communicate ideas to people who are different from me? I was uh, 20, uh, 22 to 24, I want to say. I forget the years now, but... Um, they all blend together. <laughs> right, early 20s, early 20s. And I was trying to convince older construction guys who had been in the industry for as long as I've been alive that they needed to improve their quality. So that's scary for someone who's just starting out to figure out how to communicate these ideas. So I learned that. I had to figure out how to communicate, learning how to continuously improve things and how to measure that improvement. All of that has come through my work and I'm just transferring that knowledge into the sustainability space. Yeah, I just I love the fact that have come from a construction background that you have seen it at the like the roots of things, mm-hmm. you know, you've seen it from the ground and actually understand that there's needs to be systemic change. So I know that there's a lot going on. If there was a business who wanted to transition to be more sustainable, what are what advice and you know maybe they say like you know it's too expensive or it's hard to transition into what are the benefits for a business becoming a sustainable business yeah so i'd like to kind of flip that question a little bit and ask why do businesses think it's okay not to be sustainable mm. so i think right now especially like in this moment that we're recording this podcast there is a lot going on right now with COVID-19, Black Lives Matter, we're in the middle of an election cycle. There's a lot. (laughs) There is so much. Yeah, we have a lot of problems that we really need to address at the core, at the root. And when I go to make purchases or invest in things or try to figure out what brands to support, I no longer tolerate the bare minimum. Mm. So I can see that my peers and people like me who are starting to notice that, that it's not okay to just say that we're sustainable, but have absolutely nothing to back it up. You really need to do the work. Totally. So that that's why people are going to start calling you out. People are noticing what's real and what's not. And that's the case for sustainability. I remember uh, you posted sort of in uh, the environmentalist for Black Lives Matter, and you said that like environmental justice and racial justice are the same. Can you talk about the sort of intersectionality of that? Yeah, so I think I can start by just talking about intersectional environmentalism and what that really means, at least to me. 
Um, so when I think about environmentalism, like I kind of explained with my resume, I didn't start out like my life wanting to be a sustainability consultant. I was trying to work at Ford at an automotive company. And so I was in a completely different mind space. Um, but when I would think about what does an environmentalist look like or who are environmentalists, I always imagined white people, <laughs> particularly white males who probably look like they came out of like a Patagonia ad. So <laughs> yeah. that's what I imagined. And I literally did not know where to look to find people who looked like me or even consider that that was an important thing to have. So the problem with that is that white people are considered the dominant culture in environmentalism in most spaces. So talking about intersectional environmentalism is now how do we decenter white people and bring into the table more people of color and specifically black people I will advocate for that because that's my identity but how can we get more people of color in those spaces? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, as somebody who is Chinese American, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I relate. For sure. And I think a, a really good analogy that I, I like to use is, so when we're thinking about like solving climate change, that is a huge, huge problem that we have. And it has so many facets to it. And the way that I kind of like graphically think about it in my mind is imagine solving a Rubik's Cube. And you have all the different squares and they're all different colors and you're really trying to shuffle it up and get it all to match. Imagine only looking at it from one of the six faces, only one side. So you might be able to solve one side that maybe all the blues line up, but if you turn it around, the rest is a mess and you have yeah. to go address the rest. So that's the, that's the case for intersectional is get those other perspectives to help you figure out the solution. I think that... You know, so many times, especially in the environmental world, like you think that when you don't question, you know, what, how is it going to, you think you're doing something good, but then it actually has a negative effect to it because you're not doing the research because you're not understanding that it's, it's systemic. Everything is connected, you know, that it results in sometimes negative feedback if you're not doing the research and understanding that everything is connected to one another. Absolutely. And and that is so key that all sustainability issues are interconnected and there are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So if you're thinking about one, you need to think about how it affects another. For environmentalists who, you know, want to take action, especially with what's going on, what do you think is the best way that we can support and take action? So you can start in a couple of places. One is to start by creating your personal definition of sustainability. So when I think about sustainability, this is just my personal world. I always start with zero waste because that's what registers in my brain. It really helps me connect with all the other pieces. So I am I am a very visual minded person. So I kind of imagine like a, a, a wheel with a, a middle, like a center, and then all the spokes expanding outward. So in my world, the center of that wheel is zero waste. But the spokes that extend outward are reducing carbon emissions or my water footprint or ethical labor practices or um, health justice. So there are other things that are connected to it. Zero waste is just my center hub. And I try to figure out ways to touch on the other things as well. So starting by defining that wheel for yourself and then go learn about it. So 
I love Instagram. It's one of my favorite <laughs> pastimes. It's great. <laughs> it's so great. And it's actually so informative if you follow the right people. So mm. learn about those different perspectives. If you really know a lot about zero waste, branch out and learn about water or labor or something else and find people who don't look like you who are talking about those things. You can get more diverse perspectives and get that Rubik's Cube view of the world. (laughs) Yeah, that Rubik's Cube analogy is so good. And the wheel, I feel like you're putting such complex things into such a visual sense. So since you said zero waste is kind of your core, what does zero waste mean to you? Because it can be so different from different perspectives. Yeah. So I mean, zero waste truly does mean zero waste to me. Not that I'm trying to achieve that personally, but as a society, my like my utopia is that we live in a fully circular economy. That's what I am working towards. But there are pieces that are um, that are trade offs that we have to think about. So if we completely just only focus on zero waste, then we're ignoring the rest of the spokes of the wheel. Yep. So we have to think about how can we achieve as little waste as possible, but also think about all the other pieces and how do we get an equilibrium of all of that. And especially with the zero waste products that are being created, like it's great the fact that it's reducing our waste, but we should also think about who's making it. How is it manufactured? And understanding that too as a whole. So you said a fully circular economy. What For yeah. our listeners who don't know what that means, what... What does that look like, a fully circular economy? In a circular economy, what that looks like is that every resource that we pull out of the earth is then designed intentionally so that it can be recycled into the supply chain. So an example of that is think about like the phone in your hand, probably. It's made out of metal, glass, silicone, plastic, rare metals, you know? All of those things had to come out of the earth somehow. But then when we're done with it, even there are some recycling programs, but more likely than not, that's going to end up in the landfill somewhere or in, or burned in incinerated. So we've just done all of this work to get this material out of the earth, causing wars, causing conflict. It's it's a very attractive and abusive process. And then at the end of its life, after two, three, four years, we throw it away. Yeah, and that's very problematic, at least in my mind. So, what I want to work towards is that how can we design our products, the things that we consume, in a way that we're not throwing it away after five minutes or one year or six, whatever it may be, but we're thinking about how do we keep this material in its value as long as we possibly can. As somebody who came from a design background, I think that we definitely, as designers, have a huge issue of we just create something just to for for one solution, but we mm-hmm. don't think about what materials are we utilizing or when that that person is done with that product, what exactly happens to it? Who is it affecting? Where does it go? I really hope that we are at a point where manufacturers and producers take responsibility of their products, but also, like you said, see value of that. I mean, that's good material. It's again, that Rubik's Cube where we're just solving one problem, but it's creating so many other things that are interconnected. Exactly. And when I imagine the world, and that's exactly why I started my company, what you just said is that we as people, as consumers, as people who are fans of the zero waste and sustainability movement, we know that kind of what we're working towards. 
but we really need businesses and people with purchasing power to make those changes. So we can demand it all we want, but if no one does anything about it, then nothing happens. We really need businesses and producers and manufacturers to take that step, even if they don't hear the noise that we want it, but really just taking that leap of faith that this is important and doing it themselves. Especially with COVID, I think it's really highlighting and addressing because a lot of right now we have as consumers a lot more restraint of bringing our produce bags or shopping low waste. And I think it's really highlighting the fact that there is a huge design flaw where we really need to ask producers and designers to, and you know, manufacturers to start creating a different process on how they're creating their products. Right, right, exactly. And even also educating their consumers on what that is, because like not to go on a huge tangent, but I've seen companies who do sustainability stuff, they actually do the work, but then they don't explain to their consumers how to to do what they've designed. Oh, interesting. That's either fully compostable or it's recyclable. You just have to take it apart a certain way, but they don't explain it to anyone. So how do we know what we're supposed to do? You know, so it's that form of also education too of being able to just because you make that product, you think, oh, it's great. If it's not going to the right, being able to manage where it goes also, and informing the when the consumer has it or the customer has it, they know, okay, this goes here, or this goes there, and it's like the same thing as like biodegradable. It's for your backyard, but people are throwing in the compost, and that can totally mess up our compost. Not to get on the rant too, but yeah, I I feel like a lot of the times when I post something, I'm like, just so you know, when I say when I say biodegradable doesn't necessarily mean that it goes in your compost facility because I don't know where you live, we don't know what manufacturer you're you're using, and I think you got to do the research too, and you got to educate yourself to to know where things go. And it's also on the company's responsibility too, to also have that education to being like, okay, this is what you do with a product when you're done with it. Exactly. It's a hundred percent a two-way street. So that's, that's what I want to help people with. (laughs) Somebody who's listening is like really excited to, you know, they want to add sustainability to their business. Maybe they haven't even started a business, but they want to start one. What is what is one step that you advise for them to do or kind of mindset they should start when they start their business? Yeah, I think just thinking very intentionally and deeply about what is the problem that you're trying to solve and then learn as much as you possibly can about that problem. Because what happens is something that turns into greenwashing. So you might create a solution that yes, it saves food waste or yes, it reduces waste or whatever you're trying to fix, but then it it in turn creates another problem. Mm -hmm. So really learning about what you're trying to do and really truly solving it and not just putting a band-aid on one solution and then expecting the rest to resolve itself. Sometimes you don't even know if it's going to have repercussions sometimes. Right. Like I use the Tom's example a lot where they really thought that by giving a shoe to a child in need was a good idea. But because of that, it resulted with the cobblers losing their jobs there. And they realized like, oh, wow, I made a mistake. And instead of like a lot of companies do this where they'll say like, oh, it's not our fault. Tom's actually went like, oh, crud, we are at fault for this. We didn't know that this was going to happen and was completely transparent about it too. And showing that they're 
human <laughs> and that there, mm-hmm. that there is going to be mistakes sometimes. Like even myself, like I, when I was sewing organic bags, I was telling people to put it in there. This is what I didn't know that you couldn't put it in your, in your, in your actual compost, meaning like uh, in Berkeley. And I was telling people that too. And I, I, then somebody said, um, I don't think that's the case. And, you know, I got really defensive and I thought, oh God, like, you know, like, no, I'm right. I, I have a degree in fashion, you know, I know this, right. but then I, I self-reflected. I thought, no, no, I should really, I should really double check this. And I, I, I looked and I was like, oh no, I'm incorrect. I'm wrong. So then I had to, you know, let the people know who bought it. The person that I talked to, I apologize. And I'm so sorry. You're completely correct. Thank you for challenging me and making me have a second thought instead of just assuming. <laughs> so I think there's a part of transparency of that. And exactly. And that's, that's the human piece. So, I mean, I'm not perfect. I don't know everything. And my ethos is just progress over perfection. So I'd rather you take a baby step forward and try something and maybe it's wrong, maybe it's right. That rather than do that, then do nothing because you just want it to be perfect the first time. So we need to keep forward progress, even if it's kind of stumbly. <laughs> I'd rather have that than no action at all. And so um, just so people who, you know, really want, who, who probably really want to work with you, more like I want to work with you if I had, a, if I was starting a sustainable business, what does the process look like with Blue Daisy Consulting? I really tailor my work to my clients. So there's a lot of different directions that we can go. And I offer a, a few different like major buckets of services to hopefully give people what they need. The three ma- main ways that you can work with me are I do virtual workshop uh, every couple of or months or so where I talk about how to create a zero waste workplace. And I kind of, I give you a roadmap of how to start and how to finish. And I walk you through the journey and give you my insight of how to think about things each step of the way. So that's one way. I also do one-on-one sessions, so you can hire me for just an hour or a couple hours or whatever you need, and we can just chat through what's on your mind. So I've had people who are just like, I am in this industry, and we don't know what to do. And so we kind of gather information and understand where people are at, and then figure out how to get them the information that they're looking for so that they can make decisions for themselves. So we could do that. Or the third way is I do like very traditional zero waste consulting work where I start with a baseline waste assessment where I will literally analyze your trash. I will look through it. I will weigh it. I will take pictures of it and understand. (laughs) I call it being a human raccoon. It's really fun. Get in there and understand what you're throwing away. Where does it come from and how can we fix it? So we can do any of those pathways, but the end goal is always figuring out how, how to be more sustainable or how to reduce your waste in your business. Oh, I love the fact that you have these three different tiers and also it you adjust it depending on who you're working with. Then I think a lot of, especially those big certification companies will just kind of give you just like, this is how it's going to go and this is how it's going to be. But you understand that every business is complex in its own different way. And I think it's awesome that you you adjust to that. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I, it, you can't give blanket solutions for people because everyone values different things. So I can't tell you what you value. You have to tell me that and then I can guide you to get there. How can people connect with you? I think the best way is just online. So I am on 
Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all just Blue Daisy Consulting. You can find me. I'm most active on Instagram on my personal page at Hippiemoji. So follow me any of those places. What is the best piece of advice you can give to a fellow ecopreneur? Ooh, that is a big question. Yeah. You can more like you can also give several or if it has to, it's a visual thing too. <laughs> I'm down for that also. <laughs> no, sure. I think that I think what I said earlier of you don't need to ask for permission to do this work. I think the most frequent question that I get in my DMs is how did you become a sustainability consultant? I want to do what you do. I want to work for you. And while I am honored that people think that, you don't need anyone's permission to do the work. So it may be it may be a, something you do for free because that's how it was for me when I started at the beginning. I was just kind of dabbling and asking to help. And then you can formulate into something more concrete. But you can still do that work and make that impact on whatever scale you're comfortable with without the permission of a job title or whatever that may look like. So give yourself permission. I only ask this question to people that I really want to know the answer to. I know you said that you envision a circular economy in the future, but what is what does an ideal future look like for you, Moji? Oh my gosh. Yeah, that is <laughs> that could be a whole nother yeah. podcast. Honestly. Totally. Um, <laughs> I think honestly, just if I were to be really succinct about it, the Green New Deal, where we're thinking about sustainability very holistically. It is not just about clean energy. It is not just about green jobs. It is not just about clean water. It is all of it at once and really um, investing in that. So we can't get there without investing money, time, resources. So what I would want to see and what I what I would try to work for in all the stuff that I do is getting people to pay attention and invest those resources in those kind of things. Yeah, I yeah, I actually just started reading the book on the Green New Deal and it's quite it's quite eye-opening. I feel like it's yeah, there's a lot of things I didn't know, but I feel like if that passes, I mean, it's going to it's definitely going to disrupt a lot of the way that we do things, but in a really positive way, I would say. Yeah, I mean, we got to think about right now with COVID-19 is absolutely disruptive, so we could handle it once, we could definitely do it again. It's <laughs> awesome. Well, Moji, thank you so much for just being such you're just like such a positive person and just a beacon of light I feel like it's like it's such an honor thank to be interviewing you. you thank you I appreciate you asking me yeah thanks for being on the show hey entrepreneurs thanks for tuning in if you've enjoyed this episode come on over and join me at the entrepreneur show I'd love to hear your story and what positive impacts you're making in the world anyways hope you're having an awesome day and I'll see you in the next episode